everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode four of season three of Revise and Resubmit. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Bowen, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA. In today's conversation, we get to catch up with Dr. Courtney Carpenter-Childers, an Associate Professor in Advertising and Public Relations at the University of Tennessee, and we had such a great conversation with her, so you definitely don't want to miss it. In today's conversation, we start out by talking about uh, things like Tennessee Hate Week, <laughs> Super Roll Tide, Roll Tide. I mean, let's okay, yes, Crimson is clearly better. And <laughs> we talk about uh, Courtney's path into academia, and then we'll talk about media influence, and we'll break that down and consider the ways that our respective ages or generations respond. Uh, to different types of media messaging. And I'm going to go ahead and be vulnerable. And I'm going to say, yes, I am easily influenced. So I'm not my age out there with this one. But when I think about how I grew up and the media I was exposed to, it was what we refer to now as the big three, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Fox wasn't even in existence during that time. And there certainly wasn't any sort of digital media content to be exposed to. I remember having the morning newspaper being a part of our daily routine, flipping through that newspaper and looking at the headlines while drowning in my bowl (laughs) of Cheerios or Apple Jacks. But what about you? What kind of media were you surrounded by when you were growing up? So I remember newspapers being a daily part of life. um, And I don't honestly remember a whole lot about the networks that I was watching. um, But I did watch a lot of Nickelodeon and game shows and (laughs) cartoons and and Perry Mason. I watched watched a lot of Perry Mason. And I... You know, as far as other media, I remember being very Facebook hesitant and then even very Instagram and Twitter hesitant initially. And then I definitely say that if social media had been around when I was in high school, my life would be totally different today. And I think about those things here and there. And then I start chasing rabbits or going down (laughs) rabbit holes for the accurate phrases. I don't know. So I think one of the really fun things about this conversation is that it made me think about this term, digital natives, and how things like demographics, age, gender, race, ethnicity factor in as we consider how much, if at all, the media can influence us. And not to give away too many spoilers here, but yes, the answer is yes. And shockingly, media can influence us, young and old alike. There's so much to dive into with respect to that influence. Please join us in welcoming Dr. Courtney Carpenter-Childers from the University of Tennessee. Welcome, Courtney. We are so excited to continue season three with you. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Courtney, I have heard a rumor that you are currently employed by the um, 
well, I'm not going to say like, hey, hated. Um, <laughs> Rival. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's a great, great way to say it. The Tennessee Falls. And we here in Tuscaloosa have Tennessee Hate Week. Yes. <laughs> I, I say whether we do or do not participate that in that. But. We know that you still carry a crimson and white torch. So how do you manage that or keep your Tide fandom on the down? <laughs> so what a way to start the podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, I, my husband and I both graduated from the University of Alabama. Um, some of our most fond and fun years were in Tuscaloosa. Okay. Um, so we... We definitely still have crimson blood and um, our two boys that are 10 and almost seven are huge Bama fans. In fact, um, they both were sporting Tua and Waddle jerseys last year during the football season. And um, I think sometimes they are a little bit of that. They they take a lot of grief at school and um, at sporting events when we are literally the only people that are not in orange and white. Um (laughs) But it's, you know, it's interesting. So while it, you know, the rival, um, you know, is more between athletics than academics, of course, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty transparent with my students and I tell them that without the University of Alabama and my education there, I would have never gotten to come to UT. Um, So, um, and then I also talk to them about, you know, I know academia is like this weird place where you know, sometimes you don't hire your own PhD and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always understand that. But what they do understand is that, you know, my loyalty and my fandom is with, you know, a place that I cherish and I had, I've, you know, received two graduate degrees from. So, you know, I kind of like throw it back on them if they give me any grief. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very much heightened during football season. Um, you know, <laughs> basketball. <laughs> Um, Bama's been really competitive in basketball lately yes, too. So, yes. but you know, bring it on. Um, my entire family <laughs> is orange and white and bleeds Tennessee ball, everything. So I can hold my own after 15 years. <laughs> oh, and I mean, I'm not going to make any fans by saying this, but um, in addition to that, Alabama has actually not lost in football to Tennessee since we've lived in Knoxville. So it makes it a little bit easier to, um, you know, maintain that fandom. Let me tell you. Fun fact. Since you are not currently at the University of Alabama, we would love for you to give us some basic information about who you are and what you do. So we call this our rapid fire section, the get to know you part of the podcast. Yeah. All right. So the first question on our rapid fire is, where are you from or where did you grow up? Yeah. So originally I'm from a very small town. Um, in southern middle Tennessee called Pulaski, Tennessee. Um, It is on Interstate 65, directly in between pretty much Huntsville, Alabama and Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Born and raised there. I'm actually a first-generation college student. So um, my parents very much instilled in me very early on that, um, you know, an education was a priority. And, um, you know, I, I think that whenever they championed that, they never envisioned how long I would actually stay in school. <laughs> but um, yeah, they they um, they they always, you know, put a lot of um, priority in that area since they did not have the privilege to go to college. So hmm. I love that. Yeah. 
Next, when were you at the University of Alabama? Yes, I'm proud to say I was there from 2001 through 2006. I got both my master's degree, which was in advertising and public relations, and then my PhD at Bama. Um, Like I said earlier, so my very best years, um, that's for sure. Nice. So let's back this up just a little bit. Um, What did the young Courtney think she would be doing when she grew up? Did you always think that you would want to be a professor? Was it even on your radar? So I'll I'll admit, you know, as a first gen student, um, I honestly didn't even know what a professor was. Um, you know, I knew oh, there yeah. were colleges, and I knew that I was supposed to cheer for the balls just because that's where, you know, my family's <laughs> loyalty um, laid. But I, I, I honestly, I had no idea what a professor was. It was not even on my radar whatsoever. Um, so I know, you know, from a very early age, I was pretty creative. Um, I enjoyed painting, drawing. Um, And I thought for a long time about, um, you know, I I knew that I probably wasn't destined for like an art career per se, but I did think about fields that would allow me to kind of use that creative side. So um, I took a class in my junior year of high school and, you know, being from a small rural town, um, it's a pretty small high school, to be honest, but we had what's called a DECA program and there was a marketing class that was offered. And I jumped the chance to take that. Um, You know, it's so funny now teaching and advertising. You know, my first day in the intro class here at UT is the difference between marketing and advertising. But, uh, (laughs) you know, that marketing class in high school, honestly, is what even put advertising on my radar. I had always enjoyed a lot of media growing up. Um, And, you know, there was a very short time in college. I, I started out as an advertising major. I almost... Uh, switched over to architecture, um, which had a little bit of the creative side, I think, but um, stuck with advertising. And um, to be honest, whenever you asked me this question, the first thing that came into my brain, though, was that my mom swears that when I was um, you know, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years old, all I did all day long was play school. I mean, I would wow. have my little sister in a, in a chair and I was forcing her to do assignments and <laughs> do all the stuff. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, to kind of put those two worlds together, I think that somewhere, you know, in my DNA was a potential, you know, teaching career tied to creativity, which, you know, I kind of do on a daily basis, to be honest. Um, but I absolutely never once did, you know, the, the role of professor, like on no sheet in elementary, middle school, when they ask you what you want to be when you grow <laughs> up, I never said a college <laughs> teacher, or college professor. So, so you, you've kind of gotten us into where we'll go next, which yeah. is, um, tell us about some of the scholarship that you do. Can you give us an elevator pitch on your research? Sure. So, um, you know, it's been a while since my time at Bama, but while I was there, I was quite interested in more um, advertising efforts targeted to kids. Mm. Um, you know, that was a great, fruitful area for me for many years. Um, you know, the Institutional Review Board makes that a very lengthy process. And <laughs> as yep, an assistant professor, you know, that's sometimes a hurdle, to be honest, to um, meet those, you know, expectations of, you know, scholarship each year when RB is, you know, is especially in tune with the needs for kids. So um, I've transitioned a little bit. And I would say more recently, my elevator speech is that, you know, I'm very interested in digital technologies and digital communication and how that's impacting diverse audiences Hmm. um, and how 
um, advertising and public relations efforts are changing and, you know, kind of morphing based on digital technologies that are being used to persuade others. Hmm. Okay, so the journalist in me is going to ask the ad PR person for a headline. (laughs) If you could come up with a headline for what you consider to be one of your most interesting findings, what would that headline be? Yeah, so I would say, um, God, the journalist in me would say, digital (laughs) natives do not always recognize digital influence. Um, And that's based on, (laughs) that's based on a more recent publication um, that came out in the Journal of Current Issues and Research and Advertising, and then also a project that's ongoing um, from a similar data set that, you know, I think there is just kind of this, um, you know, understanding of sorts that, you know, all digital natives are going to understand everything that's being put in front of them and why it's there. And, you know, because they've been raised with the internet and all these different social media platforms that it just comes naturally. And, you know, our, our data found, you know, that there actually are some complexities um, that kind of go into that. And just because, they maybe can articulate what an influencer is in the world of influencer marketing doesn't mean that they always recognize them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's an interesting um, area to be with advertising because, you know, there's lots of regu- regulations around, you know, being transparent and disclosing, mm-hmm. you know, paid promotions and stuff. So this is something that we touched on with a study. Um, my co-author, Bo- Brandon Boatwright and I, who got his PhD um, here at UT just last year, um, and we'll continue to work in this area for, for, the, for the short term, for sure. So, okay, so I'm going to, uh, well, I'll, I'm going to be transparent here. Yeah. And um, what I wonder is, what about those of us who, I don't, I don't know if I'm a digital native, <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> but I know I'm influenced. Right. Like you put anything that anyone says, buy this in front of me on any platform. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so yep. are there different, like, do, did those people who are not, did not grow up with this type? of advertising are they more influenced have you looked at that so we we broke it down by generations um x y and z in our study and we did um over 25 qualitative um based interviews and um just really got to dive in and go in depth into some of the things that you just asked (laughs) and um the interesting thing that we would have never thought going into the study is that members of Generation X, which um, I'm right on the cusp of, so I'm not a digital native either, of course. Um, Those individuals that were more in the 40 to 50 year old range in our study, they they could not articulate what influencer marketing is overall. Um, Even if they recognize the term or phrase, they really couldn't like put together a sentence to define you know, what I think our industry standard is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And whenever we, you know, then we were able to really, you know, probe a lot and ask more questions about that. And they, we even had to show a few of them like an example of um, an influencer post on social. And it was so interesting that that group of 40 to 50 year olds really started talking more about 
um, endorsers on TV because mm-hmm. that is their native platform, right? Like oh, yeah. I was raised watching a lot of TV where, you know, the younger people in our study of 18 to like 25, they feel a little bit more comfortable with, you know, the digital landscape. They're always on their phones. If they're watching TV, a lot of times it's via, you know, a YouTube channel or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I put TV in air quotes there, but <laughs> it was so interesting. Like the older people in our group, and I can say that because I'm in that age range, they, <laughs> they really just kind of always associated advertising and someone like serving as a spokesperson, which is kind of what influencer marketing is, right? But they always relayed that back to a TV viewing experience. So they brought up things like infomercials, Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it might be someone that, you know, was brought up as being an influencer on social, but they always shifted the conversation back to more of that TV landscape and like seeing a commercial on TV with that individual. So, um, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to like your comfort level and where you spend the majority of your media consumption time, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, and that's shifting. I mean, we know that everybody is spending more time on the internet these days, but um, I will say for sure that that older age range always tried to, in some form or fashion, connect it back to a TV um, advertising experience, which we never would have thought of going into to this study. I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I get my Bed Bath & Beyond <laughs> <laughs> the mail and I look at it and they have they have those as seen on TV and I'm like yes <laughs> maybe that's a product oh this is a disaster I cannot be trusted with any sort of <laughs> no it's it's so true and you know another thing that came up and this was really this spanned across generations is you know with the digital landscape and social media in particular you really create your own community like you mm-hmm. decide who you follow and who you true. engage with right yeah so that's where for especially um, some of the younger members of our study, you know, that line is very blurred between an influencer that's paid to, you know, market something and just someone that they enjoy. And like that influencer may be both to them, right? Like they may be someone that they just put out really great content and I really enjoy following them and being a part of their community. Um, But they throw in a paid post every now and then, or, Maybe even they fail to disclose that they're being paid to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. promote a particular brand or service. And that's where there's a lot of blurry lines. Um, but overall, the younger group just told us that they didn't re- like they didn't mind influencer marketing. Like it was just another, mm-hmm. you know, tactic. Like it was so common on their mm-hmm. feet today that it was, you know, at times it really didn't even stand out to them. So interesting. So mm-hmm. how did you get into this area of research? So about five and a half years ago, um, I started, I had been teaching, I created a social media class, um, the very first social media class um, on UTK's campus. And our college um, really put some resources behind that. So that particular class launched in spring of 2011. And um, it became a really, really popular elective across um, our college. And then we were, ba- we were able to expand that to across campus. So based on, I guess, my social media um, knowledge from that class and some connections I had made, I then got brought into a conversation about creating the very first social media command center um, wow. at UT, which was um, being funded and supported by an advertising alum by the name of Adam Brown. Um, he works at Salesforce and 
basically he came to a football game as just a regular alum that, you know, you know, kind of stepped foot on campus and realized that, you know, he wanted to give back and really, you know, do something to put both our college on the map and then also enhance the digital education um, of our students. So um, the social media, Adam Brown Social Media Command Center was created and launched in 2016, which was incredibly exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, just between teaching the social media class and ultimately becoming executive director of the Adam Brown Social Media Command Center, I mean, it just naturally, it's almost like my teaching side and research side have kind of merged. Um, and there's just a lot of opportunity there to be completely honest. Um, you know, it's kind of cool when you're working on scholarship that's timely and relevant, like you can share with your classes and you yeah. can, um, you know, students definitely um, enjoy learning more about influencer marketing right now. So that just really kind of gives me some momentum on the scholarship side too, to, to keep going and keep plugging and, you know, this study that was published last year, you know, I think it filled a few gaps in the literature, but I think it also opened some other opportunities um, for us to explore things um, even in greater depth. So, hmm. I mean, that's really fascinating, but it, it also sets us up very well for the next question. Tell us a little bit about some of the classes that you've taught over the years. And do you have a favorite? Not trying to get you in trouble with that specific <laughs> question. No. Um, yeah. So I think I have taught pretty much every course in the advertising <laughs> sequence, except for our um, intensely creative classes that focus on the Adobe Creative Cloud and creative strategy. Um, we kind of have an expert in that area that has really um, kind of led us in those efforts. So I've taught the advertising principles class, advertising research for many years. Um, I taught the advertising media class for many years, which was the class that I actually um, started out as a GTA on at Bama um, under Dr. Lance Kenny. Mm -hmm. And then my last two years um, as a PhD student, I had my own section of that class. So Honestly, teaching that class really helped me get the job at UT because they were in need of someone to kind of lead the media class for a while. And so I did that probably my first six, seven um, years here. Um, currently, I'm teaching the advertising management class, which is a 400 level class. And then most summers, I teach an advertising campaigns class. Sometimes we'll have an advertising PR campaigns class integrated together, which I also very much enjoy Um and so, yeah, I've, you know, the social media class is kind of my baby, to be honest. I haven't um, been in that class the last two years just because I was needed elsewhere. Um, and we were kind of transitioning the the role that class plays. But you asked me my favorite. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I can't ignore the baby of social media having, you know, been there from its conception and yeah. you know, um, first offering and, and teaching that for so many years. But I will also say that um, I was given the opportunity to teach the advertising principles class um, when I transi transitioned out of social media about two years ago. And that's our large lecture introductory class. And, um, you know, I, I was a little bit intimidated to, to, to do that at first. I had only really ever taught, you know, 40, 50 and fewer students. And so to walk into a large lecture hall that really looks more like a theater and, <laughs> you know, recognize pretty quickly that, you know, it's almost just as much theater to command a class that large and yes. to try to, mm -hmm. you know, keep the attention of the students and, 
you know, to me, advertising is fun, right? Like, let's try to make this as fun as possible. The advertising principle, principles class is an elective course for a significant portion of my students. You know, I have majors that are from geography to um, architecture to business um, to ag science, right? So, like, I've got to do something to keep their attention. So that class, when I took it over in about, I guess, two years ago, had about 95 students. And today I have 256. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, it, I, I, you probably never anticipated me saying an intro class is one of my favorites, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's given me a lot of opportunity to like dive into all the different areas of advertising. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't take a deep, deep dive in those in an intro class, but it's also been really cool to like see students that you know are inspired in that class and get excited and change a major or you know want to take another class because there was something about the world of advertising that they didn't know and you know they want to learn more um and then by teaching like campaigns in the summer I still have you know students that I taught in 250 and to see that growth over you know three semesters or four semesters is just incredible you know because a lot of times I get on as freshmen and sophomores and they're just kind of learning the ropes and then to see them in campaigns in the summer campaigns class where they're just about to go and get their very first job is, is really um, inspiring to me. So I don't know if I totally answered that question, oh, but I have a few favorites. <laughs> it's like naming your favorite child. Like that's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> so Courtney, when you, when you look at your professional career far, what are you most proud of? Not question or anything <laughs> yeah so that's that's a great question um I think that to be honest and this this probably goes beyond like the teaching service research commitment that we we all have a little bit but I, I really find a ton of joy and um I think that I, I really do my very best to make a mark with students in the area of like serving as kind of a conduit between the academic and the professional world. So while they're here, um, you know, if, if a student expresses to me in any way that they have ambition to work in this particular market, or if they have a desire to go into production, for example, I really am going to do everything possible um, using the network from Bama, to be honest, and then the the network that has accrued in my 15 years at UT and just friends and, and colleagues that have come and gone and, you know, maybe, um, um, you know, acquaintances that work in the profession. I'm going to do everything I can to connect that student with someone that can be potentially even more impactful in their career than I would ever be. So, you know, I think sometimes it's intimidating for students to network and make mm-hmm. those connections and figure out like how to get their foot in the door somewhere, or, you know, is it really okay to send this email or not? You know, is it okay if I, you know, ping them on LinkedIn and like reach out? And, you know, my answer is always yes. I mean, all somebody mm-hmm. can tell you is no or ignore you. Right. Um, and <laughs> right. if there's anything I can do though, to help that student, um, I just think that that is um, something that changes a life a lot of times that is so minor, to be honest. And I think that all of us should be willing to do it. But, you know, I think there are some that are more willing. And um, so I've I've tried to maintain that throughout my 15 years. We have a wonderful um, advertising um, trip every single January for one week where we carry uh, and mentor between 30 and 40 advertising majors to New York City. And we literally visit 
six to 10 agencies, companies, media firms, research out. I mean, we do everything we can. And they're all our alums that just give us their time for free and, you know, set these meetings up and, um, you know, to see a student literally that has never been in New York city, which we always have a handful come out of one of those meetings and like connect with a student that they, you know, was raised the same way they were. Maybe we're from a small town in Tennessee, just like they were mm-hmm. and never to see their eyes open and, and think, Oh, I can actually do this. Like I could <laughs> actually work in the world of advertising in New York city. It's just honestly one of my favorite parts of my job. That's very cool. Well, and I'll tell you what, you are so perfect at these segues and transitions. I feel like we've given you notes. What? Um, (laughs) But you were talking about connections and networks. So I wanted to ask you, I know um, you had an opportunity to be at UA during a time when Dr. Jennings Bryant was also here. And Mm -hmm. you gave um, this very beautiful tribute um, when he was inducted into the CNIS Hall of Fame. And I was wondering if you had a a great Jennings story to share, whether it's um, being in a class with him or just an interaction or anything like that. I do. I mean, I feel like blessed that you're even asking me about my association with Dr. (laughs) Jennings Bryant. Um, And to be completely honest, you know, some of those things that bring me so much joy as a teacher, and I know I'm like completely off script and that I should be telling you about, you know, this publication is my proudest moment or this grant (laughs) or whatever. But like the things that are more personal are why I do what I do and why I enjoy what I do. And I can tell you hands down, that that comes directly from my experience at Bama and in particular working with all the fantastic professors I did, you included Dr. Bissell, but um, Dr. (laughs) Dr. Bryant made a lasting impression on not just my career and my academic um, side of life, but my entire, I mean, the way I approach life as a whole, like I cannot tell you how many times that, you know, he probably should have told me to stop coming to his office or he should have said like, you've already emailed me 30 times a day. Like, this is too many. Um, I, you know, like he always was open. He was always available. Um, you know, I can't imagine how much work I interrupted during my time with him, but you know, it, it was those side conversations. It was, you know, working with him in, um, the Institute that you now lead Dr. Bissell that, you know, we got to um, conduct, I was in a team of um, 15 grad students that literally loaded up in a rented white van <laughs> and we dro- he drove the van and we went all over the state of Tennessee. Uh, I'm sorry, the state of Alabama. Good grief. I've been gone too long. <laughs> the state of Alabama um, doing work for, you know, multiple organizations. One of them was all about enhancing the broadband network in the state of Alabama back in like 2004. And I mean, at that point, I had no idea like how impactful that work would be. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we all rely on broadband services all the time. But, you know, it was talking with him about where to go to eat barbecue or him (laughs) glowing about something that his kids were doing and the fact that Todd was getting into animation at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to really put into words that how much he impacted um, everything about what I do and what I love and what I find passion in. But I can say that, you know, whether I 
intentionally did it or not, I do think so many things that I value are what he did. And so that family tree of just like being available to students and being open to conversations and listening and, you know, it's just so much more than just, um, I guess the scholarly side, you know, the the relationships really do matter. And, um, I, I would just say that, you know, riding in those white vans get, I mean, we have, we would have to meet the white vans on Friday morning at 5 a.m. Wow. And I mean, looking back, like, good Lord, Friday morning at 5 a.m., you know, especially <laughs> like during football season and everything else going on, like, and not one of us ever complained, not one of us, like, I mean, it was like we fought to ride shotgun with Dr. Brian just to hear wow. his stories and to you know, learn about, you know, his approach on life. So I guess there's not one. I, I do think the Hall of Fame um, ceremony was just so special. Um, and um, I, I miss him every day, um, without a doubt. So, Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think what you're kind of hitting on or highlighting is, I think, ultimately what we all sort of aspire to do with our own students and <laughs> to help create and develop that family tree. So yep. thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. So we're going to wrap up with, like we started with, uh, just a little rapid fire. Um, so what academic conference are you looking forward to? It's not virtually attending. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you can insert any conference that is non-virtual <laughs> at this point. So um, I guess the next one that's on, you know, the calendar is the American Academy of Advertising Conference, um, which is in March of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to share a wall with the former president of the organization, Dr. Eric Haley. So I have heard that um, potentially there's like a hybrid option this year. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out with other academic conferences. I think ICA has also um, announced a hybrid option, but yeah, so ICA would probably be next on that list. I know Paris is a, is a big draw. Um, Definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you send me anywhere <laughs> where I can have some, fa- like, I cannot wait to some of those like big conference rooms with partitions. Like it's just the little things like the mint, yeah. the little glass bowl. Um, just, just send me somewhere and let me talk to people face to face. And, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. I, 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 I'm, I'm good with that. Yep. Courtney, I feel like we could talk to you for a whole other hour. This has been so much fun getting to catch up with you. I want to thank you for making time in your very busy day and your schedule to catch up with us. And, and thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye, Courtney. Bye.